Hi, everyone. So Hi. happy to be back. Megan was on maternity leave, and she is finally back, and she's got a new bundle of joy. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a podcast all about that, because it was an adventure. Yeah. Um, today, we have, of course, our wonderful co-host, Megan Van Noy, my therapist, new mommy, and we also have a special guest, Dr. Miles Nichols of Colorado, who is a functional medicine doctor, and he's going to be uh, talking to us today about the gut brain and hopefully mold and how that plays into health. So, go for it, guys. (laughs) Hi, Dr. Miles. We're super excited to have you. Um, I'm excited to be here. As we kind of jump in, let's let's start at the very top. So a lot of times we get asked about different doctors, different types of doctors, different providers. Um, what would you like? How would you describe functional medicine and kind of what you do? Yeah. So functional medicine is really uh, not the easiest thing to describe because it is so different from conventional medicine, but the little bit, just the brief gist of it is in functional medicine, we're looking to find the root cause not to manage symptoms. So if someone comes in with, let's say some gut or brain related symptoms, let's say headaches as one symptom, brain fog, difficulty concentrating, rather than going to a neurologist who's going to look specifically at the brain chemistry and functional medicine, We're going to look at a lot of the connected research between the brain and the gut. We're going to see that small intestine bacterial overgrowth has research saying that it connects with anxiety and depression. And then we're going to test for SIBO in the gut. We're going to look for dysbiosis because we know that when that's corrected, sometimes those symptoms of the mind that seem more neurologically related are actually going to resolve. And so we're looking to resolve the root cause. If someone has pain, we're not looking to give a pain med. We're looking more to figure out why do they have that pain? Is there an underlying root cause behind inflammation? And then we're testing advanced diagnostic lab testing that's different than conventional testing in order to uncover what that cause or those causes of inflammation might be. So if someone gets diagnosed with fibromyalgia, then usually they get certain kinds of medications to help them manage the pain in the conventional system. In the functional medicine system, we're going to look to test for some root causes like mold illness, which we talked about briefly in the intro here, and Lyme disease and certain things that might link to why someone might have developed fibromyalgia in the first place, and then work to reverse at that level so that Ideally, someone doesn't need a medication ongoingly for the rest of their life once that root cause is unraveled. So that's just the the basics. There's a lot more to it, but hopefully that gives a sense for what functional medicine is and how it's different from conventional medicine. Different testing, different focus of treatment, and more chronic disease than acute disease is typically what we tend to work with. Okay, there. So what, how are the testing different? So for example, if we're looking at uh, gut dysfunction, rather than just testing for looking at an endoscopy and a colonoscopy, which are looking for 
observable changes in the stomach or the small intestine or the large intestine. Uh, we'll do functional tests like a small intestine bacterial overgrowth breath test, a comprehensive stool analysis that looks at more different kinds of parasites and yeast than a conventional stool test would. And we might do blood tests that are looking specifically for weird and obscure autoimmune conditions or inflammatory issues that are caused that are causes of these other things. So we're looking much more at what is connected in research. And then we're testing things that may never get tested in conventional medicine because we're looking from a different angle. So often these are specialty oh, cool. labs that are different than normal. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, it's that's kind of what Kimmy and I always are trying to talk to our patients about too, is getting to that root cause of malfunctional issues, right? Like well, why did you need braces? Well, why do you need a CPAP? Why do you need, you know, night guards or jaw splints and really kind of talk about the why? Um, so I think that's so awesome. That's really how we can overlap so much. So um, there's so much information out there about the gut brain health. Um, you know, there's a ton of like reading material. I have a stack on like my bookshelf that's like this big of like, cause that's something that I've been really interested in over the past couple of years as well. Um, so talk to us more about that. Talk to like, you know, obviously we all know that the whole body's connected and I think logically we know the body's connected, but I don't know that, you know, conventional and Western medicine knows that the body's connected. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I think we're starting to figure it out. So um, talk to us more about that. What are you looking for? How do, like, how do those things really impact each other? How do they connect? Um, you know, give us, give us like, what is the gut brain connection? Yeah. Great question. Great question. So it used to be thought that the neurotransmitters in the brain are just produced by the brain, which they are produced by the brain, but what we didn't realize many years ago is that there are signals from the gut to the brain via a nerve called the vagal nerve. Ah. And the vagus nerve sends signals from the brain to the gut and from the gut to the brain. Mm -hmm. And it's actually relatively recent, probably around the 2005, 2010, we started to see some research. 2011, we had a very definitive study connecting the signals from the gut via the vagal nerve to what kinds of neurotransmitters are made in the brain. And just to, to give a little background, neurotransmitters are chemicals. These are things like serotonin and dopamine. I think a lot of people have heard of these. The dopamine is sort of the pleasure chemical in the brain that might get released when you have a, a short-term pleasure experience. Serotonin has to do with connection and longer-term happiness and so people who have depression are often put on a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or an SSRI medication, which is trying to preserve more of that serotonin in the brain. And again, it's working on the neurotransmitter level directly. But what's newer in research to understand is that those signals from the gut really make a big difference in what kinds of and how many neurotransmitters are made. If you'd like, I can share a research study from 2011 that was really definitive in this, in this area. Would that be helpful? Yeah, yeah, let's, we'll put it into our, shoot it to us in an email and we can, um, we can add it to our, what's it called? Description. Description, there it is. 
Yeah, so there was a study from 2011 called ingestion of lactobacillus strain regulates emotional behavior and central GABA receptor expression in, mouth, in a mouse via the vagus nerve. Now, that's a mouthful, but what that means is a pro <laughs> lactobacillus is a, a kind of a probiotic. There are many strains of lactobacillus. People who eat yogurt, people who have fermented foods often have some lactobacillus strains in those fermented foods. So one of those strains, lactobacillus rhamnosus, was used with mice. Half of the mice got lactobacillus rhamnosus for about a month, and then the other half of the mice got a sterile broth that had no probiotics in it whatsoever. At the end of that month, they subjected these mice to a stress test. Mice don't like water to swim, to have to get out of water. It's stressful, so they put them in a bowl that's they can't get out of. So they're swimming in this water in the bowl. And the group that had the broth that was sterile, no probiotics, they swam for about a minute, two minutes, three minutes. And at about four minute mark, they gave up on trying to get out. They just floated there. They kind of gave up and they, well, you know, passively resigning to their situation. They, Did they die? They didn't die. <laughs> okay. I was like, I don't want to be a mouse in my next life. <laughs> but, they, but they gave up on trying to escape. And, and they measured some things. They measured corticosterone, which is like cortisol in humans, which is this, it's often referred to as a stress hormone. It's got a lot of good functions and a lot of bad functions. So we can't peg it as bad, but cortisol, when it gets too much, it, we see that that happens during stress and can cause issues. So these mice were getting a lot of this stress hormone release and they burned themselves out essentially and then just mm. kind of gave up. The other group that had the probiotics, the lactobacillus rhamnosus in their feed, they swam that one, two, three, four minutes, no problem and did not stop. They kept swimming for a fifth minute. They kept swimming for a sixth minute. They might've kept swimming longer, but the researchers said, wow, this is already a statistically significant finding. They took them out at minute six. They found that they also released this stress hormone but they released another neurotransmitter in the brain called GABA, G-A-B-A. Hmm. GABA is a relaxing neurotransmitter. GABA is one that helps the brain calm and relax. Often GABA, when people take GABA, sometimes they do that for anxiety, for fear, because it helps the brain to have this relaxed thing. Some people use it for sleep. And so these mice were generating more GABA who had that probiotic is the only difference. And that was regulating their stress response on the fly. So they would get this cortisol workup, but then they'd get this GABA and it would calm it down. And the total corticosterone, mm -hmm. which is that cortisol-like hormone that they produce is about half. And the gap was much, much more. And they didn't give up. They didn't resign. They were going to keep trying and trying to have what we would call a stress resilience from a probiotic in the gut, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah I need some GABA. <laughs> <laughs> Can you take GABA? I've heard of people taking GABA for sleep disorders. You can, and people do take it for sleep disorders, for anxiety. It, it isn't the best absorbability via the gut. So oh. people have tried to make different forms, a form called pharmagaba, a liposomal form to try to get 
better delivery to the brain, mm -hmm. but you can take GABA and it, it can be helpful for sleep. It can be helpful for anxiety. The form is important. Mm -hmm. Now, these researchers, they, they took it a step further. They didn't stop there. They said, hey, you know what? We need to prove that for sure this is coming from the gut. Like, I, which seems like it should be because it's a probiotic, but what they did is they took these mice that were doing better on this stress test and they cut the vagal nerve. They cut the vagus nerve. And so now they don't have the, now you don't want to be a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> now we're out. <laughs> yeah. That severs that signaling from the gut to the brain. And those mice went straight back to a four minute stress response and gave up. And they did not produce the GABA at the same levels. And they burned themselves out with the stress hormone cortisol or corticosterone in mice is similar to cortisol in humans. So this goes definitively to show that, oh, it was actually signals via the vagus nerve from the gut to the brain that was telling the brain to make GABA, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain. And so that has shifted the paradigm a little bit behind our, our brain issues just located in the brain or, and do we need to just modify that neurochemistry or can we do some things with the gut in order to send different signals to the brain to allow for the brain to produce naturally different neurotransmitters without having to replace them, without having to try to modify them with drugs. Can the brain actually produce those healthful neurotransmitters that regulate stress, that help people feel calm, help people feel relaxed on its own through good gut health? And that's a question that is being researched right now. And we're seeing pretty amazing beginnings of understanding around. So cool. So cool. The one thing I was thinking about when you were talking is um, I'm very open about having anxiety and like I've struggled with depression in my life as well. But um, in therapy, we're taught that you have three brains, your brain brain, your heart brain and your gut brain. So how does like the gut brain in this functional medicine sphere, like how, how do you explain that? Because in, the, in therapy, we're taught like, okay, if you have that bad feeling in your gut, like sometimes the that's, you know, your intuition talking to you that maybe that's not the right decision for you, or it's not the right timing and things like that. So how does that work with the functional medicine? Like what is the gut brain in functional medicine? Yeah. Yeah. That gut feeling that people trust, people follow it. They feel something in their gut and they don't follow it. Something bad happens and they're like, oh, maybe I should listen. So this is very interesting. And we definitely, one of those neurotransmitters that I talked about, serotonin, serotonin used to be thought that the brain produced most of the serotonin, that it relates to depression, that we're using these SSRI medications that are antidepressant medications to regulate that serotonin in the brain. But now we know that most of the serotonin in the body is actually produced in the gut and that that might serve a different function than the serotonin in the brain, but that's really interesting that the gut is producing what we thought was a neurotransmitter that relates to depression. And so there's absolutely things happening in the gut that are just 
at the beginning of what's being uncovered in research, but we do know that there are some brain-like activities happening within the gut. So not just those signals from the gut to the brain, but also the gut directly producing its own things that are neurotransmitter-like. And so there's absolutely a sense that, that there's a lot more we need to learn about the gut, but that the gut can provide some information, some intelligence, and that when the gut is dysregulated, we see connections with the brain as well. There are studies about anxiety and depression that are linking gut dysfunction with anxiety and depression. There was one study with 1,641 patients that uh, had state and trait anxiety and depression, and they were affected by gastrointestinal diseases, and they found 84% of the people with gastrointestinal diseases had anxiety, 67% um, showed trait anxiety. So state anxiety and trait anxiety are basically just state anxiety is temporary, trait anxiety is more like a constant, and then 27% had concurrent depression. And so we see this link in research. We're seeing a lot of research coming in saying anxiety, depression, and other things that we used to think of as just psychiatric issues are actually connected with the gut. And they're connected with other things too. Mold and toxins is one and chronic infections is another. So there are, there are many things that can impact why the brain becomes dysregulated and why those neurotransmitters change. So that gut-brain connection is very solid in research at this point. So crazy, so crazy. So if someone was at home and they're like, hey, I have brain fog or I like can't sleep well, or you know, some of these things where we know there's some connection between the two, you know, obviously we'd want them to go see someone like you so you can get to the bottom of things, but what are some things they can also do at home to kind of start that process for themselves? Yeah, great question. So for people who are noticing some depression, anxiety, sleep issues, you mentioned a great place to start is, is the diet. And of course, a lot of people have experimented with their diet, but it's, even people who've done a lot of experimentation with diet who come into the clinic were able to often get a lot of headway by modifying certain things in the diet. One simple, easy thing that people can do is what's called an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Um, where you might, you might pick six foods. You could pick gluten, dairy, soy, corn, eggs. You, th there's different philosophies on this. You could pick a template, like if you go extreme autoimmune paleo or autoimmune protocol is a template called AIP. There are paleo templates. You can just pick a template that cuts out a lot of foods for 30, 60 days is usually enough to start to see if you're feeling better. And then you can add one food back in every three days. It can take up to two, there are some delayed sensitivities to foods that can take 24 hours, 48 hours before you feel off, before you get your headache, before you get your feeling of being depressed. We know in research, depression and inflammation are linked and we know diet can reduce inflammation as what's called anti-inflammatory diets. And when we get out a lot of the inflammatory foods, which are grains and industrialized seed oils, and there are several things that are inflammatory in the diet, 
When we get those out, we often find reduced inflammation and symptoms like depression can improve just from that dietary change. And so if someone does that elimination, does a, a template of a diet for 60 days or th even 30 days, if you're not seeing any results, you might change and try a different one, a different template. But if you feel some results, the, the real trick is if you're going to add foods back in to vary your diet again, add them one at a time for three days. And if you have a negative response, take that food out and keep it out for at least six months before trying it again. And that can be a really great way for people to do something on their own that can make a really profound difference in a lot of cases. If that doesn't work, then you might want to seek some additional help. So what about that lactobacillus that you were talking about? Is that, where do you get that in foods? Typically fermented foods are going to be the ones that are going to have lactobacillus strains in them. So yogurt, kefir. Now these can be a problem because people can be sensitive to dairy. So, and then people can accumulate too much histamine. A lot of people with gut issues have a sensitivity to histamine and fermented foods are more rich in histamine. This stuff gets complicated quickly, but fermented foods like yogurt and kefir and sauerkraut and kimchi, as long as they're refrigerated, they're not the ones that are on the non-refrigerated, most of the refrigerated ones are going to have live active cultures. And of course, people can buy probiotic supplements that have these strains in them as well. Not everyone's going to respond positively to right. probiotic supplementation, to fermented foods, to trust your body if you don't. And there are many different classes of probiotics, kinds of strains that aren't the lactobacillus strain, but that are very impactful and helpful for gut health. We can go into that if you want to. It's kombucha. Does that have the last uh, lactobacillus? Kombucha actually mostly has a strain called Saccharomyces boulardii. That's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> Sac B is what we call it in the clinic for short, just to make it Love easier it. for Love people. <laughs> so, so Sac B is a, actually it's a yeast. It's not a bacteria. So we think probiotics are bacteria, but Saccharomyces boulardii is what we would call a healthful yeast. Now this is weird. People get tripped up about yeast. Yeast is bad. Yeast infections, this candida, that. A little bit of candida in the body is normal. Overgrowth of candida is a problem. That can happen in the skin, in the mouth, in the gut. Small intestinal bacterial over, or fungal overgrowth can happen. So it can be a big problem. We, we test for it and treat it. But there are also healthful yeasts. So Saccharomyces boulardii, or SACB for short, SACB is a great yeast that can help, in a way, crowd out the problematic yeast. So we see that if there are too many of candida, let's say, and we take SACB, and add a lot of that into the gut, that sac B can almost crowd out some of that extra overgrowth of other kinds of fungus that may be more problematic or pathogenic. So kombucha, the, it can have different strains, but the most common is sac B. And sac B is one that in particular in research, it helps with diarrhea, but it also is very helpful for a variety of digestive issues. One of our most popular in the clinic in the probiotic strain, SACB is very 
very helpful for a lot of people with digestive issues and some people who don't tolerate fermented foods and don't tolerate the lactobacillus strains sometimes do really well with sack B. But I will give a caveat on kombucha, which is that it's also got caffeine, it's also got sugar, it's also fermented and has histamine in it. So the way someone reacts to kombucha in particular is not a good reflection of whether they would react well to sack B because there's a lot of other things going on in kombucha. And I have not found kombucha to be nearly as therapeutic as taking sack B as a supplement in a higher dose. So sack B supplementally, I find to be very effective and popular in the clinic. And that is one of those other classes of probiotics, even though it's a, a yeast that isn't lactobacillus strain. Hmm, interesting. And before we get in too far, I want to just dive in a little bit about what is the vagus nerve? What does it do? And oh, yeah. how can we tap into that? Because there's this really cool book I started reading called The Healing Power of the Vagus Nerve. And it has a lot of things about how you can relax your vagus nerve using meditation, mindfulness, breathing exercises, mm-hmm. humming. So can you talk to us a bit about like in, in very simple terms, what is the vagus nerve? What does it do? And how can we Why use it, it so to important? Friend our foe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great question. So the vagus nerve is a nerve that, that it, it connects with the brain. It also connects with the gut, like we talked about before, but it, that's not the limit. It connects with the heart too. It, it connects all throughout the body. It, it sends these signals to different organs and we of course know that the heart also has intelligence. We often feel in our lives like, you know, I just knew it in my heart or I just had this, this heartfelt sense or that person has a good heart. We have all this language around the heart. The Heart Math Institute has started to develop a lot of research around the heart. And this, this boils back to a man named Dr. Stephen Porges who developed a theory called the poly vagal theory. Now, this is not that well understood at this point, but he was proposing that in addition to the normal way that the nervous system is talked about, which is your your fight flight, which is that sympathetic nervous system, and then your rest and digest, which is that parasympathetic nervous system. He introduced another, what he calls the social nervous system that's related to the vagus nerve, where A lot of how we regulate as mammals is by signals that are bonding signals between different mammals. So just the expression on someone's face, giving a hug, things like that can regulate this vagal nerve response. And when the vagus nerve gets dysregulated, we can get into that sympathetic fight or flight type of response where we feel like we need to either fight or we need to run away or we have all this energy or anger or frustration coursing through and maybe we feel very anxious so that's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic if that gets (laughs) Kimmy do you know about that (laughs) (laughs) I heard one the other day that was fight flight or freeze and I was like oh my gosh I'm such a freezer (laughs) (laughs) yeah the parasympathetic side of the nervous system usually gets only good things said about it. It's, it's the rest, it's the digest, but actually it can, it can be in dysregulated form. It can be dissociation. 
or paralysis. So someone who's completely dissociated, they're not in their body. That, that's a strategy to deal with stress, right. not a healthy one, but that's more on the parasympathetic dis, uh, dysregulation side. And then the social nervous system is that part of the, the vagal tone that's that, that the Dr. Stephen Porges's research led a lot to what's called heart rate variability, where we've determined that the heart rate, when it gets faster and then slower, and it is able to vary in that way is a healthy expression of a good nervous system response. And a lot of that has to do in young childhood with bonding and healthy attachment with mom and dad and care figures. And then later in life, it has to do with internal dialogue. How do we, how do, we do self-care? And meditation is part of what brings self-awareness to that internal dialogue and helps us to be able to know how to, one, not believe the stories in our head that are untrue or that aren't going to be serving or that are excessively negative. Right. And two, to be able to be aware of what our physical response is to our thoughts, to our emotions, to our actions, so that with meditation, people become more aware of, oh, when I think about this thing, I get a little dysregulated. But if I stop and I think about this person I love, or I think about how grateful I am for having a loving, caring family, having a shelter over my head, having food on the table, um, we know very clearly from research that gratitude is a way to cultivate a healthful state. But what a lot of people don't talk about is they don't talk about the mechanism of why. And that has something to do with the vagus nerve. And it also has something to do with the way the mind compares things. So oh, for example, okay. Yeah, yeah. So explain to us a little bit about how mindfulness helps you to relax your vagus nerve. Cause I've done this like cool YouTube experiment where um, you hum in different tones and afterwards it's super comforting. Yeah, that humming vibration has been found to regulate the signaling in the vagus nerve and, and to reset it. Uh, what, one way to think about it is the, when we're dealing with a lot of chronic stress in day-to-day -day life, the vagus nerve can get flipped to on and not, I mean, it's on is the wrong word, but the, the stress response can get flipped to on and it doesn't turn off. And so there's this lack of the kind of signaling that helps the heart that helps the gut that, that hears the signaling from the heart and from the gut to the brain. And that signaling is through the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve isn't having that signaling appropriate to a regulated stress response. Then people are going to have a really hard time getting a little stress could become a big deal. It, someone could cut you off and that could ruin the rest of your day because you're thinking about it and you're retelling that story over and over because the vagus nerve is stuck in that position. So to reset the vagus nerve, humming is one thing that's, that's used. Uh, some people do play the didgeridoo is, is one way actually to also do interesting. <laughs> a similar vagus nerve. Yeah. Didgeridoo has been researched for sleep apnea as well. I probably in part because of how it's regulating the vagus nerve and relaxing the stress response. Mm -hmm. I actually have a hilarious story about the didgeridoo. I was at Guitar Center a few weeks ago and there was this long pole and I was like, oh, I think it's a didgeridoo. 
So I pick it up and I'm blowing into it like nothing is happening. And then I turn it over to look at it. It's a rain stick. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I could 1000% see you doing this. I discovered what you could do in high school, and I actually had a friend who learned to make them, and he, uh, we went out camping one night and cut down a dead agave stock, and then we did this whole let it dry out thing, and then hollowed out the inside, and, and so I made my own didgeridoo out of agave, which was a crazy process that took many, many hours, um, but it's a beautiful instrument, and hard to play. Most people don't get past circular breathing, but... If you do, then it's a very, very relaxing instrument to play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, it's interesting. You're talking about the, like the attachment levels. And um, I like have been really like looking into that because I'm like trying to figure out how to sleep train my baby. Um, <laughs> but also like with Izzy, um, when she's upset, I really like hold her to me and I just like hum to her a lot. And, you know, that really does help her because I think I may have heard that somewhere along the way about humming. Um, you know, for babies in neurodevelopment, but that, you know, that seems to really help her, like, when she's barely a fussy baby, but when she is, that's kind of what I do, and I just kind of make up weird humming songs for her, and that seems to just kind of, like, calm us both down. (laughs) That's great, and and gargling, too, is another one that regulates, so you can gargle a little bit of water, yeah, cool. You've given us so many great practical tips today. Like, so for the the gut health, we've talked about, you know, the probiotics, the lactobacillus, the elimination diets, the vagus nerve, the humming, the gargling. What other, like, is there any kind of like tips for either the gut brain or even like the vagus nerve stimulation that you would say people can kind of start with to like kind of start kind of going down this journey a little bit? Like if you had like a top three tips yeah, I'll bring up one more yeah. category of probiotics, which yeah. is soil-based organisms. These are usually going to be bacillus in the front, and it's bacillus coagulans, bacillus subtilis. So bacillus are what are called soil-based or spore-based organisms. These are transient, meaning they don't, they don't live in the gut for a long time. They kind of move through temporarily but they have a lot of research to help with repairing leaky gut. And they have research helping to eliminate some kinds of problematic bacteria or pathogens in the gut. And people respond very well often to spore-based organisms, even who might not react well to those lactobacillus-based or the SACB. So we have lactobacillus and, and bifidobacterium-based probiotics are the, the most common ones you're going to find in the store, but SACB and then the spore-based probiotics, the bacillus, are going to be two other categories that people can go to, and, and they're relatively safe for most anyone to experiment with. Of course, if you have any serious conditions, talk to your doctor, but for most people, it's very safe to to experiment with these and try a bit of a spore-based for a while, try SACB for a while, try a lactobacillus bifidobacterium blend for a while, and just see what your body does and how your mind and stress response 
response, give it at least a couple of weeks and then see if you're noticing things are better, things are worse. So that's one practical tip that we can add on to what we've already talked about. And can I leave people with one small practice to do? Please, yes, we'd love that. So the mind compares and it compares what you have to what you're thinking about your current situation to whatever you're considering. So if you're thinking about, oh, I'd really like to have this better car, then your mind subconsciously is gonna compare your current car to that better car and it's gonna create dissatisfaction. You're not gonna be satisfied with what you have. Gratitude, of course, is a practice where you say, I'm grateful that I have shelter over my head. What that is doing is it's comparing what you have currently to what other people don't have. When you're able, and this is part of the reason why social media causes such dysregulation on the mental emotional side for people yeah. is they're so seeing, true. people are posting all their best stuff and you're seeing all their best stuff. You're comparing it to your life and you're like, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I wish my life was like this. Mm -hmm. And it's creating a lot of, there's research showing it's creating a lot of dissatisfaction if people don't use it wisely. And so I really recommend take, take a moment, even two, three minutes each day to focus on things that you have that are already part of your life that other people don't have. And, and even things that you don't like, like let's say you're having a relationship problem right now, you can compare that you have a relationship at all to someone who doesn't, or you can compare that, that, that you've had good experiences in the past with this person when other people are in abusive, physically abusive, you know, you can, compare what you have to what other people don't have, even if you don't feel like what you have is adequate, there's someone who has it worse. And comparing that actually will help regulate that vagus nerve as well. So that's a, a practice that I'll encourage everyone to do is, yeah. you know, the, the world didn't end today, you know, the, the sun rose, there, there are lots of things to be grateful for. So if you can just, you know, have simple couple of minutes to compare what you have to what others don't have, even the parts of your life that you're not super pleased with, then that is an amazing thing to do. So I hope people enjoy that and, and can actually take that to heart. Yeah, I love that. I've been using a gratitude journal and it's just how I like write down like three things for the past like three or four years. And it really has just kind of, I feel like changed my like everyday mindset. Um, and so I really like doing it, which is awesome. So I'm glad that it's, you know, it's actually doing something for me. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> cool. cool. Wonderful. Um, so thanks for joining us. I think we're going to have to bring you back for part two to talk about mold. Yeah. Because I know you have so much cool stuff to teach us about mold and sinusitis. And I want to give you like plenty of time to do that because this was fascinating about gut, brain, vagus, nerve. Um, if somebody wants to try out functional medicine because regular medicine is not quite helping them, what is a resource to find someone wonderful such as yourself? Yeah. So our clinic website is medicinewithheart.com. And so you can go there. You can get in touch with us. We do telemedicine all across the U.S. Cool. If you... Um, are looking for someone local, we're more than happy to try to, to find someone. There aren't people everywhere who do this kind of work, but there are more and more are, are cropping up. So we're more than happy to, you can reach out, you can schedule a free call with one of my staff and they'll be more than happy to get on the phone, chat with you a little bit and find out more about 
you and your story, see if you'd be a good fit for our clinic or for another clinic, and we'll do our best to help you out. Yeah, that's awesome that you guys can do the the telehealth and the telemedicine. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's what Kimmy and I do a lot. So we always have, uh, you know, we always have a little room in our, our heart space for others who are able to do so. So um, yeah, that's such a great resource. And we'll be able to send a lot of our patients who we see all around the world as well to you. So that's great. Super excited Wonderful. about that. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both. And yes. thanks everyone for listening in. Yes, thank you. Now, actually, before I before I let us go, Dr. Miles, do you have social media at all, or is your website the best way to contact you? Yeah, the website's great. Also, Facebook, Medicine with Heart, we're on there as well. Okay. So, uh, and we're there. Most social media channels, we we have a, a page. So, Medicine with Heart is just the way to find That's us good. on social, and so love to connect with you that way. Cool. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Miles. We so appreciate it. Thank you everyone for tuning back in. You know, we're so happy to be back and we're so happy that Dr. Miles got to kick us off again. So um, we will be back soon.